I can move around a little bit. Yes. Uh, again, thank you to everyone who packed the pulpit. We still had some groceries coming in Monday and Tuesday, and that was good. And appreciate Richard, and I'm not sure who all helped him clear the pulpit so that we could uh, move around a little bit up here. But uh, congregation, give yourself a, a pat on the back and certainly uh, appreciate of your, appreciative of your generosity and, and kindness. You know, this is, this is my uh, first Sunday, well, actually second Sunday, kind of on a, on a long holiday. And uh, at Mayfair in Oklahoma City, we primarily a, a younger church, and so on long weekends, all the younger people went who knows where. And the, the attendance was always down a little bit, and I always kind of feel sorry for us, for those of us who don't get to go anywhere, you know, on a long, on a long weekend. But here we are, and so thankful for your presence uh, today. We have a good group, and uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to go anywhere, you know, this, this weekend. Actually, I went up to Oklahoma City Thursday evening and did some work around uh, Ski Island, I might have gone to a football game in Norman, Oklahoma yesterday morning, and Lori and I came back with Jet, so, excuse me, so Jet will be with us uh, a few days uh, this week, and this next weekend, our youngest son Taylor and his wife Katie are flying in uh, to Oklahoma City, so I'll run back up there and spend a little bit of time with, with them. It's a busy time of year, school has resumed, and uh, with, with this weekend kind of out of the way, there aren't any more holidays for uh, some time, and kind of traditionally, next Sunday is one of the biggest Sundays of the year, with vacations over, everyone kind of back in school, things, uh, life's rhythm kind of returns for the school year and that type of thing, and so be, be prepared next week to begin a new summer uh, sermon series, and no more vacations for a while, and a lot of things will be happening here uh, at Lamar Avenue that we can be excited about. Two that are occurring this week, all right, Tuesday morning, the first men's breakfast of kind of the, the school year. Tuesday morning at, at 7 o'clock, and I have been asked uh, to give a brief message uh, to you men, and hope to see you here uh, Tuesday morning at, at 7 o'clock. Uh, I think some other men are going to show up a lot earlier to cook the breakfast, and I'm really thankful for those guys. Uh, I think Audie and James Paul, and I don't know who all is a part of, of that team. But So guys, hope to see you here uh, uh, Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock, and we'll spend about uh, 45 minutes to an hour uh, together uh, eating and fellowshipping and maybe with a brief challenge uh, from God's Word. And then Wednesday night, new fall adult Bible classes uh, begin, and there will be uh, a men's class. Uh, Doug Ferris will be teaching a class. Uh, Jay Spencer will be uh, teaching a class, and Lori and I are going to share some pictures of our recent trip uh, to Israel, 
and we'll have some fun doing that. I think we have four really good offerings uh, this fall. So if you haven't been participating in a Wednesday night class, repent and start this Wednesday night and choose one of those uh, four classes. Our Simple Suppers resume. Did I say that right? Simple Suppers and we'll be eating together. I'm not even sure what time those, those start. I will be there at whatever time they do begin. And we can enjoy, again, a time of fellowship before we move into a period of, of Bible study. So, again, fall is kind of here. And uh, life will, will resume maybe a little more to, to a normal uh, pace. And let's be, be excited about the things that will be happening uh, here uh, at Lamar Avenue. It is good to see everyone here this morning, but, but it's especially good uh, to see Sister Ruth Ann uh, here today. Uh, she had a couple of nights at the hospital, I think. And Coach, it's good to see you too, but we're, we're, we're really good. Uh, we're really glad to see uh, Ruth Ann this morning, and uh, keep, keep Ruth Ann in, in your prayers uh, as well as, as the others. I think I began this recent series of sermons uh, on the topic of, of worship with a quote from uh, George Barna. Some of you will be familiar with the name of George Barna. Barna has been around now for about 35 or 40 years, and he has, has done a lot of work studying uh, attendance patterns, things that occur in our culture which affect evangelism and uh, church life. And not too long ago, he made this statement. If the Christian church is called to help people know, love, and serve God through six foundational faith practices, worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, stewardship, and compassionate service, then the aspect that the greatest number of churchgoers embrace is worship. And when Barna says worship, he is talking about what we do, once again, typically between 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and about 11.15. And for the past several weeks, we have been embracing worship. And we've been talking about ways that we might better embrace that avenue that we have that, that together when we uh, assemble on a Sunday morning, that avenue that we have to praise our God and encounter our create, uh, Creator as we express our love and devotion to Him. And as we fellowship with one another through various uh, activities together in that hour and 15 minutes that we spend to lift His name up, yes, but also to grow and to leave this place uh, changed people. And we've been emphasizing this aspect of our vision statement, connecting with God, which reads this way. We will continually seek a deeper connection with God through sincere worship 
in spiritual disciplines. We will reach out and make disciples that do the same. Now, quick commercial for the new sermon series that begins next week. We're going to stay with connecting with God. But we're going to move from sincere worship to making disciples. So over the next several weeks, as you are reading your Bible daily and spending some time in God's Word, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels and particularly key on the times that you hear or read words like disciple and, and follow. All right, commercial over. All right. I have defined worship for this particular study as those times in which the church is called together or assembled to encounter God, experience God, express our love and devotion to God, and be encouraged to serve God. And, and really, this, this whole sermon series was triggered by that weekend that we had DJ Bulls with us. Uh, DJ being uh, one of the most visible worship leaders uh, in our brotherhood. And that weekend in which uh, DJ really challenged us to be more worshipful, more full of worship. And so we have been trying to emphasize and develop some of the themes that uh, DJ introduced uh, to us on that weekend. And so this morning, we conclude that series by looking at Psalm 95. And I've simply titled this lesson, A Guide to Worship. And really, we could go to any number of psalms to help us in our public assembly. But I think this one is particularly suited for some of the themes that we've been discussing and developing from week to week. Uh, I often mention, uh, mentioned to the worship leader at Mayfair, uh, his name was, is Josh Sloan, and uh, a number of Sundays, Josh would lead hymns that are Scripture. And I love it when we sing Scripture, because that's what the Jews did with these psalms. And we have two uh, very popular, if I can use that word, uh, devotional songs or, or praise songs right out of Psalm 25. And I appreciate Kyle em emphasizing uh, those two songs this morning. So this will be a text that we should all recognize. Because again, we, we sing this text uh, from time to time. So open up to Psalm 95. Uh, Greg and, and Kristen Mays aren't with us this morning. Uh, Greg and Kristen have been taking uh, Shirley, uh, Kristen's mom, on, on kind of a birthday tour of her roots up in Oklahoma. And yesterday morning, Greg, with his two sons from Edmond, knocked on my door at 6.30 in Oklahoma City wanting to fish on my lake in Oklahoma City. And I said, sure, come on, let's go fishing. Well, I sat out and drank coffee while they fished for a while. But he said, hey, we're not going to be there. We're going to be going to church uh, where Shirley grew up in Midwest City. Give me a synopsis of your sermon. So I gave Greg a synopsis, and he said, so the lesson will be brought to us by the letter R. And I said, you're correct. So there you go. Here's the first R from Psalm 95. Rejoice 
I mean, notice how, notice the, the joy that is expressed in the first five verses of this psalm. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Right? Two, two or three things about uh, this particular uh, verse. The word that's translated come is, is literally come on. And, and the picture there is, is, is a group of people and they're, they're walking along and it's like, come on, let's go worship. Right? And, and, and for us, I, I think the idea is to invite somebody. You know, I don't know where all we go on Sunday morning. I, I go through Starbucks. And, and so the idea is for me to walk into Starbucks and, and say, hey, come on, let's go to worship. Let's go to church with me. Right? And, and so it's a, it's a word of excitement and mutual encouragement. And as, as we're coming, we're preparing our minds. Uh, a couple of different words are translated as, as sing or, or shout. And the idea there with both of those words is not so much singing in tune, so to speak, which is good because I rarely sing in tune. I, do I? You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm not gifted with, with a great singing voice, you know. And, and so really the, the idea between, uh, behind those two words is just kind of a noise of joy or shout. And did you, did you notice when we sang Psalm 95 a while ago, the woo uh, for, was that the bass part? Were the bass is supposed, I was supposed to say woo and didn't know it, you know? But that's kind of the, the idea behind these two words. It's just, whoa, woo! You know, it's just a shout of joy as we come into this place to worship uh, our God and, and the joy that, that we are experiencing. The next, the next verse, we see kind of a, kind of a, a, a mood change, uh, if you will, and we move from rejoicing to revering God. Let's read verses uh, 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Right. Now the mood changes just a little bit. And it's not so much come on... A different word, it is come in. Come in to the presence of God. And there are three words that are used there that are all synonymous, and they all literally mean to fall prostrate. It's as if the writer of this Psalms, one source attributes it to David, it's as if he just, he just couldn't stay with one word. And, and to emphasize the bowing down and this act of falling prostrate before our Creator just was flowing through his mind. And so the idea is that of reverence, of humility. And certainly there is a time for joy, and then there is also those times for reverence, maybe even 
for quietness or silence. Experienced that a little bit at the football game yesterday. You know, you go in excited in anticipation, and the band comes out, and the fight song is played, but then it's the national anthem. And there's reverence, even quietness in, in, a, in a stadium. And, and so I think this psalm does a good job of, of how moods change when we come together. Some are more appropriate at this time. Some may be more appropriate at, at another time. All right, we're going to come back to this, this moods of worship here in, in, in just a moment. But the idea of come on and then come in. And humbling ourselves and remembering God as our uh, creator. Right? But then we come to verses uh, 7 through 11. And, and again, we see a, 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 little, a little shift. And, and these words might even uh, surprise us a little because the writer reflects upon a kind of a dark, discouraging time in the history of Israel. You can read about this in, in Exodus chapter uh, 17. They haven't been but a few months out of Egypt. They're wandering around on the Sinai Peninsula and they begin to gripe. And they begin to complain. Right? And uh, they challenge Moses, their leader, the man God had chosen to uh, deliver them. Let's, let's read these verses. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me. Though they had seen what I did, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my way, so I declare on earth in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. What the, the writer seems to be doing, as he's emphasizing coming together to worship, reflecting upon God as our creator, praising God for his goodness and his grace, to reflect a little bit, to remember a little bit, to, to recall a time in the history of Israel when there was a complaint, and it basically becomes a lack of trust, a lack of faith in God to provide uh, for them. And so this, this almost kind of grim conclusion balances this, this gleeful, joyful beginning that we have uh, at, at the first part of this particular psalm. And now, to hear his voice, we might say, becomes the primary act of worship. And so we've moved from pray, praising God in his goodness to listening to his voice, to hear, uh, to listen, uh, has such a much deeper uh, meaning uh, for Jewish uh, people. The Hebrew concept of hearing was not only something done with the ears, but there was an inner listening, we might say, as well. This, this verb, to hear, signifies letting words sink in 
to think about them, to understand them. And then this must lead to a positive acceptance of what is heard. Israel was to listen to God's truth and to respond to it. And in fact, in a number of English translations, uh, this verb that is typically translated as to hear is translated as to obey. So for, for a Jew to, to listen, uh, to hear, was to respond as an act of faith, to obey God, listening, that becomes uh, obedience. The neat thing about this psalm is he gives us reasons why God is worthy of our worship. And this is a theme that we've discussed throughout uh, this series, that uh, God is our creator and God is having sent his son uh, Jesus as our uh, deliverer. God is certainly worthy of our worship. He lists several reasons uh, in this psalm. He is great. He is a king. He is above all the, the deities that the surrounding nations uh, would, would worship, that Israel came in direct contact uh, with. Uh, he, he made the depths of the sea. He created the mountain peaks. The sea is his. I mean, it's, it's through the, the work of God's hands that we live on this, this beautiful uh, planet on, on, upon which we uh, live. He also emphasizes relationships. And he uses a metaphor that, that is very common in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We are his sheep. God provides for us as our shepherd. Uh, very, a very common metaphor in, in Scripture. Uh, I mentioned the class uh, that Lori and I are going to facilitate uh, on Wednesday nights. And you'll see some pictures uh, how uh, sheep and shepherding are still uh, a, a, a very common uh, way of life in, in Israel uh, today. And, and we witnessed uh, some of the things that, that shepherd and, and, and sheep uh, do and have some really cool pictures uh, of, of that occurring in Israel uh, today. And then we come to the New Testament. And Jesus picks up on that metaphor. Remember what he says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And what do his sheep do? They listen. They listen to his voice. There is a, a relationship there. They trust their uh, shepherd. So as we rejoice and as we revere and as we reflect, we are to respond because of who God is and because we belong to him. So as we conclude uh, this series of sermons this morning about sincere worship, right, I want to suggest four things, really that, that not, not just conclude this lesson, but really this, this whole series. Right? And, and I, I really appreciate the response uh, to these sermons and the positive comments that have been made. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm still new, but I love our worship. And I love our assembly, and I appreciate uh, Kyle and, and, and the things that the worship team uh, have done. And, and again, it's, 
uh, it's so inclusive of, of so many things as we exalt and as we edify and as we even evangelize in our assembly together. But four themes uh, as we conclude. The primary framework for worship, again, is our relationship to God. So many metaphors. He's fought, he is our father, we are his children. He is our shepherd, we are his sheep. He, he is our Lord and master, we are his servants. He is our teacher, we are his students. And so whatever metaphor you might choose, there is this, this connection of a relationship. And so anytime we enter into God's presence, and anytime we come together in, in, the, in the form of a, of a corporate assembly, you know, I think a, a question we should always ask ourselves, what is my relationship with God? And, and what is my relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus? And, and I, am I being open to the spirits indwelling within my life as, as God seeks to shape us and to form us and use us uh, to the glory of, of his kingdom. Number two, as I mentioned a moment ago, this psalm suggests four moods for worship. Joy, thanksgiving, reverence, and then, and then emphasizing a response to the word or the voice of God coming in faith, trust, and obedience. And, and so there's, there are these various moods that, that worship can take us through uh, each and every Sunday that we come together. And I, I, I mean, I think that should be intentional, and I think it should be by design, because we all come in a different mood, right? I, I mean, some of us are, are tired. Some of us are frantic. Some of us are more joyful and are ready to express our thanksgiving. And so worship should be multifaceted. And, and worship should uh, affect us in a number of different ways, uh, depending upon where we might be in that particular uh, moment. Number three, we must not just drift into the auditorium preoccupied and apathetic. I think, I think one of the implications behind this first word of, of come on, I mean, there's joy there and there's noise, but these Jews did not just haphazardly kind of fall into worship, so to speak. I mean, it, it wasn't so much an impromptu thing as an intentional thing. And, and we've talked throughout this series about uh, preparing ourselves for the assembly. And it might begin on Saturday. You know, it might begin on Saturday night. Getting to bed at, at the right time so you don't fall asleep in the sermon. And I can see. All right. I, so I know, okay? I know. I've got a bunch of eyes looking at me, but you've got two, and they're, they're seeing. And, and so again, not taking worship seriously, 
Okay? Taking this hour and 15 minutes or so that we spend together as, as maybe the most important hour and 15 minutes of our week because of what worship is designed to do and what worship can do and the way worship can impact us. Right. And then finally, number four. Again, the core of worship is rigorously practical. You, you see this in, the, in this psalm. Right? Again, joy is expressed. Thanksgiving is expressed. A um, couple, couple of different mood, moods there of, of, of come on, but then come in and bow down in worship and humbling ourselves uh, before God. And, and we're thinking of, of loud songs, and we're thinking of, of, of quiet songs, and, and the moods that accompany uh, both of those types uh, of songs, and then this reflection, and then this challenge to hear God's voice, to listen to God's voice, and to listen in such a way that we're changed. And remember, we leave this place as sent people, sent back out into this world, we might have something to say about going next week when making disciples begins. Maybe, Matthew 28, all right? Another commercial. So worship does not end with a period, but a comma, as Robert Weber says. And so this is not an end-all, okay? It's, it's the beginning of the week. And, and we leave this place ready to serve our God and to serve our fellow man and bring honor and glory, glory to his name. Acts of worship must produce acts of obedience, of trust, of faith, of, of loyalty, of allegiance to our Creator and to our Savior. Um, when, when the millennium turned back around 2000, uh, one, of, one of the important voices uh, for public worship was a woman by the name of Marva Dawn. And in 2003, uh, one of several books that she wrote on this subject was titled, How Shall We Worship? Biblical Guidelines for the Worship Wars. Right. And here is a paragraph from that book. She asked the question, what is worship? It is our glad response to the immense grace of the triune God. All of life is worship if we live in gratitude and reverence with mindfulness of God and eagerness to serve Him. At particular times, we express worship with words with songs, actions of thanks and petition and praise. When we do this by ourselves, we engage in the practice of private worship or devotions. If we gather with other Christians, as we do from time to time each and every week, but especially on Sunday morning, we participate in public corporate worship. The result will be that we become more freely formed 
to worship God in all we think, say, or do in daily life. One of the many things that Don is saying in that paragraph is worship is to have an impact upon us. That, that we don't come together on Sunday mornings just to kind of punch in and punch out, and we've done the five acts of worship. We do five acts of worship for a purpose. Right? To again, to encounter our Creator, to encourage one another, to have an impact upon uh, guests who may, may be among us. But to leave this place change because of what we've participated in together and in, in, in what, we've, what we've experienced together through singing, communing, and praying, and giving, and hearing God's word preached. I appreciate uh, Brother Paul's uh, prayer earlier. He planted a seed. And, and I want to water that seed at this time. There may be someone here this morning who needs to begin their walk with their Lord by being immersed into his name. Paul mentioned courage. Now's the time to show that courage. I can assure you, you're surrounded by a group of people who will love you and encourage you and make that decision the best decision you've ever made. There may be someone here this morning that has responded in that act of faith. But for whatever reason or reasons, your relationship with your Creator or your Lord is not what it should be. And we're here to encourage you as well through prayer, through a study, through words of encouragement. We're here to serve together. But here in just a moment... When we say the final amen, we leave this place as sent people to love God and to love our fellow men. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, please come this morning while we stand and sing. Come.